Before we start, just wanted to let you know we are organizing one of the biggest online supply chain summits starting with the 16th of July. We are expecting over 25,000 participants, 50 plus speakers, 12 panels worldwide and 20 plus hours of content. Feel free to check our website for registration information at elcatglobal.com. Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Tech and E-Commerce podcast. I am your host, Andre Palamario, and I am the APEC Director for Elkhart Global Executive Search. Our mission is to connect the tech in supply chain and e-commerce ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward some of the most interesting stories about success and failure from leaders in the industry. To have with us today, Tom Raftery. Tom is a Global VP for SAP, an innovation evangelist, futurist, and international keynote speaker. Tom is responsible for demonstrating the vital importance the innovation has for enterprises and SAP's strategy and vision to enable organizations to realize these benefits. Prior to joining SAP, Tom worked for a number of companies at group IT manager or CTO level and as an industry analyst. Tom is also a regular guest lecturer at the International Instituto San Telmo Business School in Seville. Tom is also the creator and host of the Digital Supply Chain podcast where he discussed thought, leadership, best practices, and the latest innovation in delivering a sustainable supply chain. Hi, Tom. It's, uh, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me, Andre. My pleasure. And I know you, you have so many interests and your background is quite fascinating, to be honest, from sustainability, innovation, starting your own businesses, running big businesses, and so on. I wanted to start with a short intro of yourself, if you, if you can help us with that, and your current role with SAP. Sure, yeah. I have a varied background, as you alluded to. I am a graduate biologist, and while doing postgrad in the university in Cork, where I was at the time in Cork in Ireland, I'm now based in Spain, but while I was doing postgrad in plant science, I was doing a PhD in, in biocontrol, I got it. Uh, interested in in computers and technology and started a computer company and, you know, co-founded a computer company with a friend of mine. And we started developing software and the software we were developing, this was kind of the mid to late nineties. The software we were developing was software as a service, uh, very early days. It was, you know, database backed web fronted pages And we went from there to uh, getting into ERP applications in the early 2000s. Again, software as a service, so web-fronted databases. And from then, I set up a social media company from 2004 to 2008. I got into database, sorry, data center development in 2006. Uh, So I created created a hyper-energy efficient data center in Ireland uh, and open-sourced the development of it because I had a social media background. So I put it all online, how to do it. This was before anyone was open-sourcing hardware or data centers and Then in 2008, I moved to Spain for uh, personal rather than professional reasons. And I moved here without any Spanish at the time. So I needed a job that would allow me to work through English remotely. So I became an industry analyst and I had a strong background in energy and in social media at the time. So that helped me get that job. And I, I led the, as, as, a, as an industry analyst, I led the sustainability and energy practice of Redmonk. And I did that for seven years and did a pretty good job at it. And consequently, when I left Redmonk in 2016, I had several companies pursuing me. 
and uh, one of those was SAP and I agreed to join SAP in September 2016 in the role of IoT evangelist, futurist and IoT evangelist and I expanded that role to innovation evangelist in, in the last couple of years and I am now, my role is now global VP, futurist and innovation evangelist for SAP. That's that's quite a journey to say the least and um, <laughs> IoT evangelist, innovation evangelist, you know, these, these terms are understood in many ways by different people and by many people. Mm, I would be happy if we can go into some examples of the most or some of the most exam exciting innovation projects that you are involved in now with SAP and how are they impacting your clients? Because I've done a bit of homework. so. I've, I've watched a few interviews that you done a few years ago where you talked about a Brazilian company um, in the agriculture sector, in the wind sector as well, so, and sustainability and uh, green energy. I'm curious if we can go into an example that, that excites you and it's very connected with this innovation aspect. Sure. Um, I think actually, if, if I sidestep that question slightly and talk about something that's really interesting me at the moment, and that is yes. the shift away from using fossil fuels in transportation uh, and the shift to uh, renewable energy as well. The two line up quite nicely because as we're shifting our energy grids away from fossil fuels to renewables and we're shifting our transportation away from fossil fuels to electricity, which has been created by an increasing number of renewables, we're killing two birds with one stone. And the reason I, I want to talk about that is, uh, well, you asked some interesting and uh, innovations that are happening. And this is a, a personal project that I've been involved in because here in my house in Spain, I, in the last couple of years, I put a five kilowatt solar array on the roof of my house. And I also bought an electric car. We're, we're a single car family. Our last car I bought it in 2008 when we moved here. And at the time in 2008, when I bought it, my personal filter for the kind of car I wanted, well, I had two filters, really. I wanted a car that was, you know, a family car size car because we were going to be a single car family. And, you know, there's four of us. So we needed a family size car. So there was that. And the other filter I had was I wanted it to be low emissions, which was a weird way of thinking back in 2008 probably still is today, unfortunately, but in 2008, it was very important for me. So I narrowed it down to two cars, the Ford Focus C-Max and the Toyota Prius, both of which were about 117 grams CO2 per kilometer. And there was a 3,000 euro price difference between them with the Prius being more expensive. But when I went to the Toyota dealership, the guy in the dealership explained to me that the local government here in Spain had a subvention of 3,000 euro. Uh, so in fact, the two cars were equally priced. So of course, I went for the Prius because it was the better car. And I kept that for 10 years. And then in 2018, I decided I'm going fully electric. So I bought a, a Nissan Leaf, a 40 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. And again, I put a deposit on it in July and I collected it in December. It took a while. And again, my filter was I wanted a zero emissions car, which wasn't available in 2008, was now available. So I wanted a zero emissions car. And I wanted one that would be, you know, good for a family. So the Model 3, the Tesla Model 3 wasn't available in Spain at the time. 
the Nissan Leaf has a 345-litre boot, which is a big boot in a car. It's bigger than the one that was in the Prius, for example. So it was the obvious choice. So I put the money down on that. So now my car is a Nissan Leaf and I fuel it primarily off the solar panels that I have on the roof. So, you know, complete zero emissions. And I think it's the way of the future. Uh, I had a, I, as you are aware, I run a podcast, the Digital Supply Chain yeah. Podcast. And last week I published a podcast with a guy from a company called Ampli Power. Uh, Simon Lonsdale was his name. Is his name. And he is working for Ampli Power. And Ampli Power are a company in America who service fleet managers or people who are running fleets of vehicles. And what they do for those fleet managers is they manage the fueling of these fleets when they're electric. So if you are a fleet manager, and you have a fleet of, let's say, a thousand vehicles, and you're starting to move to electric vehicles, and you maybe have two or three as a, as a, as a trial, you can then bring in Ampli, and they'll manage all the fueling for you, and they'll do it on a dollars per mile, because it's US, dollars per mile or cents per mile, actually, basis. And they will bring your costs down, because obviously for people with electric vehicles, the cost of running an electric vehicle is, you know, much, much less than running one on petrol or diesel, just in terms of the fuel, but also in terms of maintenance. Uh, so Ampli can do deals with utilities and get the costs even further than they would be normally. If, if the fleet manager went directly to the utility, they'd get price X, whereas if they go through Ampli, they'll get X minus whatever Ampli can knock off that as well, doing things like intelligent charging, so charging at times when it's cheaper and things like that. They handle all that for the fleet manager so they can, you know, bring the cost down, let's say, another 20, 30, 40 percent off the cost that it was already cheaper anyway because it was electric. So, you know, the, the, this is facilitating that, that movement that we're starting to see of fleet vehicles from fossil fuel to electric, which is so important because we need it in terms of air quality, we need it in terms of noise pollution, and we need it in terms of climate change. And for fleet managers, they need it because, you know, it builds their sustainability credentials, it saves them money, and it makes their fleets clean. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody and, you know, people like AmpliPower and, you know, they're not the only ones doing those kinds of things. Geotab are based out of California are doing fantastic things for fleet managers as well. Geotab, I've forgotten the name of the solution they have, but they have a solution whereby if you're running a fleet of vehicles, you know, whether it's all fossil fuel or whether it's mixed, uh, they will run a, they, they take in telematics data from, from vehicles and they will run the solution over your telematics data and they will pick out the vehicles in your fleet which are most suitable to be substituted by electric vehicles just based on the profile of their driving the amount of miles they do a day they, whether they're going uphill downhill all those kind of factors the hours that they're that they're in use all that kind of thing and they'll say okay of your fleet you could start by switching these ones to electric because they're the most suitable for the electric profile. And then, you know, as, as the vehicles are getting better, buses and trucks and those kind of things, every single day we're seeing new announcements about the kinds of electric vehicles that are coming up in these categories of vehicles. Everything from, you know, backhaul, or, uh, sorry, not backhaul, 
uh, what's the name of those things? Those diggers, the, the big JCBs and Caterpillar uh-huh. diggers, all those kind of things now are starting to be electric as well. And trucks we're seeing as well. Uh, Scania, Volvo, all these companies are making big uh, trucks which are fully electric. Refuse collection vehicles are a really important one. If you have a fleet of refuse collection vehicles, you know that they go out typically on during set hours. You know they're primarily urban. Uh, you know that they're primarily diesel today, but there are now starting to be electric ones. And of course, the electric ones are quiet. They're not obviously not diesel, so they have no emissions. They're far cheaper to run. One of the things that surprised me is if you look at if you look across categories of vehicles the ones that use the most fuel are buses Uh 18 wheel trucks and refuse collection vehicles they are those three are by far and away the highest consumption of fuel so those three are obviously the the ones that cost the most to fuel so they substituting diesel for sorry substituting electricity for diesel in those is a huge win there's a huge economic benefit right there just in cost savings then there's also emission savings and there's reduced maintenance because i don't know if your listeners are aware but in an internal combustion engine vehicle you have over 2000 moving parts in the drivetrain in an electric one you have about 20 so you have two mm-hmm. orders of magnitude fewer moving parts in an electric motor than you have in an internal combustion engine drivetrain so there are far fewer parts to go wrong so there's far less maintenance required when i bought my nissan leaf back in december 20, 2018 the guy in the Nissan dealership handed me the maintenance book for the vehicle. And I, I opened it up to the first page and the first maintenance for it is at 3000 kilometers. Now I drive about 10,000 kilometers a year. So the first time I'll have to bring it into the dealership for maintenance is when it's three years old and I'm driving even less now because we're on lockdown, you know, so it might even be uh, four years old by the time I get to 30,000 kilometers. So zero maintenance for the first 30,000 kilometers. And then when I do go in for maintenance, you know, it'll be things like rotating the tires maybe or maybe brake fluid or something like that because there's no oil, there's no spark plugs, there's none of that in, a, in, a, in an EV. So for, for people who are running fleets, the, the cost of maintenance comes way, way down as you shift to electric and the cost of fuel comes way, way down. And like I say, people like Ampli can manage the whole thing for you so that they ensure that at you know seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning, when your drivers all come to work, their vehicles are all there 100% ready to go. Mm. It's very interesting. I think we have to give credit to to Tesla as well and, and what they're doing. And this trend of moving towards EV, it's only helping and it's only accelerated in the last, I would say, uh, in the last few years. What I wanted yeah. to ask, Tom, because you interact with the different companies from different industries with executives or decision makers. Are there certain trends that you have observed in the last months or year, and maybe they are connected with with the crisis at the moment, are there certain trends in how executives are prioritizing energy efficiency and uh, sustainability on their strategic agenda? Because we know, right? We know bottom line, top line numbers, profits, EBITDA and so on. But how do you feel this importance towards environment, sustainability, energy uh, has shifted in the last few months or even years? 
Yeah, it's 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 a funny thing. There was a huge upsurge in interest in sustainability back around 2007, 2008. And then along came the crisis and it all went away. People became more interested in cost savings than they did in emissions savings. And it, it's understandable. And there's a real danger of that happening again, because in the last couple of years, there has been, you know, what some people are calling the Greta effect. Greta Thunberg rose yes. in prominence. And, yes. you know, a lot of people sat up and took notice because this is something that was very much in the back of their minds, I, I, I suppose, for quite a while. And then she came to the fore and became very prominent and spoke extremely well and communicated her concerns and brought out everyone else's subconscious concerns by so doing. And so there was a huge upwelling and in interest in climate change and sustainability in general. And, you know, that's a, that was a really good thing. And then along comes the pandemic. And I got to think this time it's going to be different. And maybe that's just the optimist in me, but I, I got to think that this time it's going to be different because this time we have a younger generation who are bought into the importance of sustainability and climate change. And so I think when we do come out of the pandemic, there will be an even greater focus on it. You know, today, any of the, as you mentioned, I work for SAP, I'm a global VP, I interact with executives from other organizations all the time, all day, every day. And there, there's, there has been a change. There is, there is an, a greater awareness and of the importance of sustainability and climate change. And I don't think that's going away this time. In fact, I think it will be accelerated. And my hope is that the vast sums of money that are being set aside by governments for stimulus funds, my hope is that those are used intelligently to push a green agenda, because this is something we have to do anyway. And if we're going to make massive investments now or soon off the back of this for these stimulus funds, it would make sense to invest in things that are sustainable. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's, the clue is in the name. You know, it is sustainable. So, as I say, my hope is that that's what, happen, that's what happens. And we're starting to see some of it. We're starting to see things like Macron in France saying that the funds will be used to push things like the electrification of transportation. They're setting aside, I think it's $8 billion to support the electrification of transportation in France. We're hoping as well that, you know, the likes of energy generation, it, it makes no sense now with the, the falling price of renewables. The, the, the cost of renewables is dropping year on year on year. The cost of wind has fallen 50%. Uh, wind energy has fallen 50% since 2012. The cost of solar has fallen 87% in the same time. And the cost of lithium iron storage for batteries, uh, for grid scale batteries to store the energy, which is generated by these uh, variable generators. So to balance out the grid, you need some form of storage. And the cost of lithium iron batteries has fallen 90% since 2012. So, you know, the stars are aligning there. And it's now cheaper to build renewable generation than it is to fuel existing fossil fuel plants. So this is kind of a landmark moment in, in the history of electricity that it's, it's actually cheaper to build net new fossil, sorry, net new renewable plants, be they wind or solar, 
than it is to fuel existing gas or coal plants. So we're seeing huge things like there's a, a 3.6 gigawatt offshore wind farm being built in the Dogger Bank off the east coast of England. It's an offshore wind farm. It's three, as I said, 3.6 gigawatts. That's you know roughly three and a half nuclear power plants worth of wind. It's from from start of project to conclusion of project is going to be two years. And you know when you contrast that to, for example, there's a there's a, a project in the UK as well called Hinkley C, and it's uh, an effort to build a nuclear power plant, and it's 3.5 gigawatts. There are three reactors there, uh, so 3.5 gigawatts, so roughly the same, slightly less than the Dogger Bank offshore wind, but that's taking, you know, 15 years to build out. They're hoping it'll be online by 2030 now, but there's no guarantee, and the costs are ballooning for it. And, you know, I have nothing against nuclear. It, it's, it's low carbon, which is great. It has a massive water footprint, which is unfortunate. But, you know, when you look at renewables, it, the typical time to build out a renewable plant is less than two years. They're eminently scalable. Like I said, the Dogger Bank one is 3.6 gigawatts. Uh, the cost is far less. The cost of energy produced is far less as well. There's a, a solar plant being built in uh, Saudi at the moment. I think it's two gigawatts. And the price there is 1.3 cent per kilowatt hour. And that's a 30-year guaranteed price. So... Right there, you know, people in the energy industry, their heads are exploding around this kind of yeah. thing. Because if you're, if you're buying energy that is created from fossil fuels, you've no idea what the price is going to be next week. Never mind 30 years from now, because fossil fuels vary in their price all the time. Whereas when you're building a, a renewable power plant, you've no fuel costs. You know, the, the sun is free and wind is free. So you can guarantee the price for, you know, 20 or 30 years. The one in Saudi, they guaranteed the price of 1.3 cent per kilowatt hour for 30 years. So anyone buying electricity from them has a guaranteed price for the next 30 years, which is incredibly attractive. Uh, and of course, just to put that price in context, I was speaking to the executives in uh, Diwa. Diwa is the Dubai Electricity and Water Authority. And they told me that it costs them nine cents per kilowatt hour to generate electricity from gas. And they generate 95% of their electricity from gas today. Obviously, when you see that kind of price differential, nine cents for gas, 1.3 cents for solar, that 95% is going to start dropping very, very quickly. Correct. And as we get closer to our, our 30 minute more, Tom, I was curious if I would be, let's imagine I'm one of the executives or uh, you can address a large number of executives from um, different industries. Time is limited and, and a lot of them have a lot of balls in the, in the air in the same time. How can they stay on top of the latest news, trends, correct information with regards to sustainability, energy efficiency, and so on, that can impact their businesses. Because after it's a situation where the decision makers have to understand what's happening and what's the best solution so they can make the best decision. If you were to give an advice of staying on top of this element, on, on top of the sustainability game, so to speak, what would it be? It's, it's a good question. And there's no easy answer. I mean, there's no one one place that you can find all this information. With respect to energy and renewables and that kind of thing, there's a very good site called Green Tech Media. 
you know, they, they have lots and lots and lots of stories about the energy space and what's happening there and de decarbonization of energy. So Green Tech Media is one site that I use regularly. Bloomberg have some good sites as well. Uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance, for example, is great for the, the transportation sector and what's happening there and the, uh, the, the shift to the electrification and transportation. So if I were to recommend two, I would recommend those two, Bloomberg New Energy Finance and Green Tech Media. That's great. Thank you for sharing, Tom. I appreciate that. As a last note to, to the listeners, uh, how can the listeners find your project, listen to the podcast, find more about your writings and, and your interests? Where, where can they find you? Sure. So I have a blog at tomraftery.com. I am uh, prolific on Twitter and on LinkedIn. So just search Tom Raftery on Twitter and LinkedIn. You'll find me there. The podcast I publish, it's the Digital Supply Chain Podcast. So just do a search for Digital Supply Chain Podcast. Uh, it's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on uh, Google, it's on all the podcast platforms. Uh, feel free to subscribe to it so that you get all the new episodes down in your podcast application of choice. If you like it, don't forget to leave a, a review saying so. So that would be nice and that would always help new people find the podcast as well. I, I strongly encourage everybody to give your podcast a subscribe and listen. I, I listened to quite a few episodes with the last one with the energy efficiency and the fleet with the toilet paper supply chain. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, that's yeah. a good one. Claire. Yeah, exactly. Really and, and a few great ones as well. So thank you again, Tom, for, for your time, for sharing uh, your perspective on, on how we should look at energy efficiency, electricity, sustainability, and uh, wish you best of luck in your project. Thanks for inviting me, Andre. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For all the show notes and information discussed in the episode, please follow elkatglobal.com slash podcast. Also, if you found this interesting, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher or one of the podcast platforms. We are looking forward to your feedback.